This is a Sunday message from New Community Church in London. To discover more about New Community, visit newcom.church. So we're going to continue our Redig the Well series today. And last week, um, Dave was here and I was in Elton and we were looking at the, the role and the person of the Holy Spirit and really being a Spirit-filled people. Uh, and one of the main kind of points that I hope he said, I told him to say, um, was the whole need of uh, to be active and not passive in this. We don't just kind of passively stand there, come Holy Spirit, and he knows where I am if he needs me or he wants me. But actually, you need to be active in coming. And Jesus in John 7 speaks, he says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. There is some activity required on our behalf to thirst and then to come and then to actually drink things that we need to do. And today has been perfectly set up um, throughout our time of worship in terms of what we're looking at today. The next part of uh, redigging the well of the Holy Spirit is to look at spiritual gifts and really the need to redig this well. And once again, we need to be active. You cannot passively move in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And I just want to, I guess, say a few things uh, by sort of way of introduction into this topic. The first is to say that the, this church was birthed in and through a work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit and his activity amongst us is is very, very much in our DNA as a church. The whole thing of spiritual gifts and the operation of them, their use of them, has been part of this church since the early days, and it continues to do so. We heard some prophetic stuff this morning and some words of knowledge this morning and other gifts as well, but this whole series, we're doing it because we have been prophetically led to doing it. But here's the thing. We cannot merely assume because we have, that we always will. we just got to be really upfront about that. Just because we have, we cannot assume that we always will be. We need to redig this well. Some of us, again, heard it a little bit in worship already. Some of us perhaps have dried up a little bit. Some of us, frankly, because of COVID, whatever, have been out of practice. Let's be honest, some of us never really particularly started. Some of us are a bit unsure. That's all right. Some of you are perhaps very new into church life and into this whole kind of charismatic thing. One of two of you thinking, oh, I hadn't realized it was one of those kind of churches. Well, you're so welcome. Got people who have become Christians in the last couple of years. Um, new believers, unaware, kind of completely new to it all. You are so, so welcome. And uh, I want to just say wherever you're at in any of those categories, don't worry. It's all right. We're going on this journey together. If you're not a believer here today, you are so welcome listening in to kind of this is what the Christian life looks like or is supposed to look like. Uh, but the reality is for each of us, there is a, a sense in which we need to move forward in this now. Paul writes in his famous chapters, chapter in, uh, on spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians 12, he starts it with brothers and sisters, or now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. There is a desire that we have that each of us would not be uninformed about spiritual gifts and about the reality and the person and the work of the Holy Spirit, but we don't want to just assume that. We want to keep coming and redigging that foundation. The second thing I want to say is that we are a, a church centered on the presence of God. 
This is actually not just in our DNA as a local church. This is in our DNA as believers, as part of the people of God. From the very beginning, being a people of the presence of God is what is supposed to define us. It's what we're supposed to be. If you're a believer, you're supposed to be somebody who is part of the people of God, which is defined by the presence of God. You think about Genesis way back in the beginning. We were made to walk with God and dwell in his presence. Genesis 3, the fall. Sin comes and corrupts everything and we're banished from the garden. But not just that, we are banished from the presence of God. And then God makes this covenant promise to Abraham and then Isaac and then Jacob. And it all centers around being a people with whom God dwelled. And then you get to Moses in the story. And Exodus 33, very famous bit. Moses says, Lord, this is what makes your people distinct, that your presence goes with us. And the people of God, as you read through the Old Testament, literally carried the presence of God with them in the, in the Ark of the Covenant and then the tabernacle, the tw- tent of his dwelling place. They are a people of the presence of God. And then we get to David and Zion and Jerusalem and it now is the city of God's presence on earth. And then we get to the New Testament and Jesus. And how is Jesus first introduced to us in, in John? The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And now by the Holy Spirit, we, the church, the people of God, Paul says in in 2 Corinthians 6.16, for we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. We are a people of the presence of God, or we should be. This is our history. This is our story. And it needs once again to increasingly become our present reality. Third thing I want to say. We are, as a church, we are not a personality-centered church. This is, we're not about one person's ministry. Never, never have been and nor will we be. Nor are we a, a platform-driven church. The most important things that happen in this church do not happen where I am standing. Let me just say that again. The most important things that happen in this church do not take place upon this platform. This isn't like made it when you get to this point. The most important stuff that goes on takes place outside of these four walls and outside of a Sunday gathering. We believe Not in the ministry of a few, but in the ministry of all. We believe in the body. We believe in the priesthood of all believers. That's a phrase that the Bible uses. Romans 12. So look at these verses for a few moments together. Romans 12, verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly or herself more highly than he or she ought to think, but to think with sober judgment each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body, we heard it earlier in worship, we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them. 
If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. We're a body. But this is the key bit. Let us use them. Let us use them. Verse 6. We have these gifts, different ones. There's the ones here in Romans 12, the prophecy and the serving and the teaching and the exhortation and the giving and the leadership and the mercy. There's ones in 1 Corinthians 12, words of wisdom and words of knowledge and faith and the gift of healing and miracles and prophecy and again and spiritual discernment and tongues and interpretation and help and administration all in there as spiritual gifts. And then there's the ones in Ephesians 4. Apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastor teachers. There is a wide range of gifts. We're all gifted somewhere. Part of the family, you've got a gift. And Paul in 1 Corinthians 12 verse 4 says there are varieties of gifts. They're not all the same. A few verses later, verse 7, he says, to each is given. It's really important. To each is given. And in the famous chapter, in chapter 14, in the bit where he talks about corporate gatherings, the equivalent of this, verse 26, he says, when you come together, each one has, not each one will, but each one has, we have gifts. Back to Romans 12, verse 6, let us use them. Let us use them. As we redig this well, it's redigging it really as a let us use them culture. This is really important because it's not redigging it as a let a few of us use them. There's a few people who've got some gifts and we'll use those. Thank you, everybody else. You just keep paying your money and keep the show on the road and turn up so that these people can exercise their gifts. Is as far removed from New Testament Christianity and the kind of church we want to build as you can possibly get. We each have gifts. Let us use them. Now, I'm just going to be really honest with you. For as long as I have been in this church, some 16-ish years or so, spiritual gifts have always been used. They were used again today. But, and this is not me being critical. I love this church. I love you, all of you, whether you've ever exercised a spiritual gift or not. But the reality is how many of us use gifts regularly? I, I kind of wrestled whether I should say this, but... Every single person who contributed this morning in this meeting. And now, let's just be clear. We'll get there here again properly in a moment. Spiritual gifts are far beyond just Sunday meetings. All right? You've got the spiritual gift of administration. We absolutely need it. Possibly not from the platform on a Sunday morning. Right? That kind of moment is, that's got a space somewhere else. All right? So I'm talking about a very narrow, version, very narrow kind of bandwidth of gifts on a Sunday in this context. But every single person who, has, who brought a contribution this morning personally has shaped my life in some way and has shaped this life of this church in some way through prophetic stuff, words of encouragement, words of knowledge, whatever it might be. But nearly all of them have been doing it on a weekly basis for nearly as long as I can remember. When you gather, each one has. Now, if you're one of those people who contributed earlier, I'm not saying don't do it next week. Love it. Wonderful. What I'm saying is I don't believe 
that the measure of gift in this church is limited to a very small section of people. Just don't believe it. I don't believe the measure of gifts in this church to men particularly is limited to elders and those on staff or married to somebody on staff. Staff, sorry. <laughs> I don't mean a big stick. I, I, just don't, I just don't believe that. I don't believe that. I don't, honestly, I don't believe that. I don't believe that the only men in this church who have got spiritual gifts to be exercised are either an elder on the staff team or married to somebody. I say, it sounds so weird. I can't say it. On the staff team. I just don't believe that. I don't believe they're all in a similar demographic either. You know what I'm saying, right? Each one has a gift. And the reality of COVID has meant there's a lot of uh, limited, frankly, last year and a half. It's very limited, isn't it? If we think, again, just talking about Sunday meetings, you're just watching it on a screen, you can exercise your spiritual gift at home by yourself. But it's somewhat limited because we've not been able to gather, but things have changed now. Time for re-evaluation, re-discovery, re-use, re-equipping, re-envisioning, re-energizing, renewed whatever, released, I've run out of re-words. Time to redig this well. There's another one. So today, hopefully, what I'm, what I'm longing for is a bit like the, the firing of the starting pistol at the beginning of a race, a kind of let's go moment. Let's go. Let's, let us use them. Let us begin to step out and use the gifts that God has given us. But the slight problem with a let's go moment is if you're not sure what you're doing, you kind of well, you might do the wrong thing, but truthfully, I don't think doing the wrong thing is necessarily like the worst option. The worst option is do nothing. <laughs> like, that's the worst option is do nothing. Like the very first running race I was ever in, my mum loves telling this story. Um, I was five years old, I think. I was lined up, you know, that moment with your ah, kind of excited. The teacher's like, ready, steady, go. And everyone starts running, all except one kid. He just stands there, like doesn't move at all. And everyone else is finished and he's running around. Ah, and this kid don't move. And the teacher comes up to him and explains to him, like, hey, listen, you're, you're supposed to do what everyone else did. They all ran, right? When the teacher shouts, go, you go. Go. And the kid still stands there and doesn't move at all. And so the teacher says, shall we practice for next time? I'll say, ready, you do that. Steady, you do that. And then go, and then you run. Yeah, okay, the kid, okay let's do that. Ready, steady, go. And the kid just runs all the way through to the end as fast as he can. And he was really fast. You haven't worked it out yet. That was me. <laughs> That's why my mom loves telling that story. I didn't need telling again. Ready, steady, go. I'm there. Let's go. I'm doing that again. Look, today, I just feel a sense of it's a ready, steady, let's go moment. And the biggest danger is not, as I said, it's not that we get things wrong. Frankly, ready, steady, go, and a kid runs the other direction is not the worst thing that can happen. We've all seen those clips on YouTube. If you haven't, go and watch them. They're very funny. The worst thing is that they just stand there and do nothing. The ready, steady, go element of this is, is not that you step out and get something wrong and try something and it... The worst possible thing of this, to be honest with you, a complete failure of everything I've said is if ready, steady, go, and we don't do anything. There's got to be a moving forward now. That is reading in this world corporately together. It's not ready, steady, go, bang, Greg can sing a song again. Let's, nothing wrong with that. It's ready, steady, let's go. Let's be those people. So look, let's get ready. To be ready, you've got to know what you're doing. 
And more importantly, not just what you're doing, I, think, I really do believe this, the why. Why is so very, very important. We often start with what, tell me how to do that, tell me that. We've got to understand the why. You get the why, everything begins to fall in place and you can work out the what as we go. What is the purpose? What is the point? Why are we saying redig a well of spiritual gifts? Just because we've already done so? And you think, well, we don't want to lose that because in 1976 it was good, and in 1986 it was good, and in 1996 it was good, and in 2006 it was good. Except, no. Why? Why are we wanting to redig this well and believe God for a culture of let us use them, these gifts? Well, let's just back up for a moment. We're a people of the presence of God. Way back in Genesis 26, where we started this series. I want to just keep going back to that because it's all rooted back there. God says to Isaac, as he's redigging some wells that Abraham had previously dug, he says in verse 24, I am the God of Abraham, your father. Fear not, for I am with you. That's the, the promise of God's presence. I am with you, says God, and will bless you and multiply your offspring. What's going on here? Well, God is reaffirming the promises that he made to Abraham, and he's also confirming or reconfirming the commission that he gave to Abraham. I'm with you, and you will be blessed for the sake of others. Blessed to be a blessing. Blessed for purpose, which here is multiplication of your offspring. The nations of the world will be impacted. You see, being a people of the presence of God comes with great privilege, we know God, get to be with God. But also it comes with responsibilities. It's always been this way. Think right back to the very beginning, Adam and Eve, the absolute privilege of walking with God. And yet even before sin came into the world, they still had responsibilities to tend the garden and steward the earth. Privilege, responsibility. Abraham, Isaac, privilege of being a friend of God, blessed to be a blessing. And part of the privilege then is working it out for the good of others. And this is exactly the same with spiritual gifts. We have been given these gifts. We've already looked at two places where Paul says each one has a gift and we are to use them for the benefit and the good of other people. Peter says exactly the same thing. 1 Peter 4 verse 10, he says, each, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Paul again, 1 Corinthians 12, 7, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. These gifts are given for the common good. For the purpose, Paul says a few verses later in verse 12 of 1 Corinthians 14, for the purpose of building up of the church. Now let's just bring all of this together for a moment. Why does the church need to be built up? Well, apart from the obvious that we need one another and we're not very strong by ourselves, we are all influenced way more than we want to admit by the world in which we live. It's part of the reason why gathering together in community is very important, but also gathering together on a Sunday is so very important because we spend the week out in the world being influenced and shaped by it. And we need moments collectively where we come together, where we are reminded of truth. We are reminded and called again to lift our eyes and go, oh yeah, it's not all about that. It's about this and the glory of God. And we strengthen one another up and we build one another up and we encourage one another and our heads are lifted and we're like, ah oh, yes, I can face it again tomorrow. That's why these moments are so important. But why does the church need to be built up? Apart from those reasons... We've already actually heard it in worship already today. 
The church needs to be built up because the church is the visible demonstration of God to a watching world. Ephesians 3, verse 10. Through the church, Paul says, the manifold wisdom of God might be now made known. You see, we, the church, are a massive part of how the world sees God. The display of his glory to the world. And so we, by the Spirit of God, are the dwelling place of God on earth. A people of the presence of God. The absolute privilege of knowing God and God knowing us. Being with us. And we are blessed in order to be a blessing. To display Jesus to a watching and needy and broken world. To play our part in the multiplication, the making of disciples for all nations. And in 1 Corinthians Paul stresses that each of us have received gifts from God to be used for the good of the body. Paul, in, in later in Ephesians 4, explains that Jesus, the ascended Jesus, gave gifts of himself to the church. He gave the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists and the shepherds and the teachers. He gave those gifts to us for the building up of us. And this really does just help us, and this is important to grasp. This helps us understand that the use and the operation of the gifts is the way in which God has chosen through us to touch the world. Remember, Luke, at the beginning of of his book in Acts, he, he says, literally, first verse, he talks about the fact that what Jesus began to do in his earthly ministry, as recorded in the Gospels, what Jesus began to do, he now continues to do in the book of Acts by his spirit through the church, through his people. So here's, here's where this lands with this. This is really quite important. We get this. Because when you get this, you'd be, ah, oh, that makes sense. That's why I've been given these gifts. Jesus himself actually embodies all of the gifts. All of those lists from Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 4 and all the rest of it and Ephesians 4, Jesus himself embodies all of those gifts. And then Jesus himself shared out all of those gifts to his people so that together we can be his body on earth. Let me say that again. Jesus, when he physically walked the earth, he embodied all of those gifts in and of himself. And now as he's ascended to heaven by his spirit, he has given of himself the gifts that he carried perfectly in himself to his people so that we might be his body, his hands and feet, his twinkly toes and everything else to a watching world. Think about it for a moment. Take any gift and consider Jesus. Let's just do that. 1 Corinthians 12, 28 says, and God has appointed in the church first apostles. Well, who was the great apostle? The great sent one. Jesus. Second prophets. Well, who was the great prophet? Jesus. Third teachers. Anybody want to hazard a guess at who was the greatest teacher of all time? Might be Jesus. Then miracles. I think he might be up there as the greatest miracle worker of all time. And then gifts of healing. Well, who was the great healer? Who still is? Jesus. Helping. Jesus, the great helper. Administration. We're not talking about Excel spreadsheets. Jesus still was the greatest administrator. You think about it, creation, that took a bit of organizing, right? He was there, feeding the 5,000. That's a level of organization going on right there. Jesus is the greatest of all of those. Spiritual gifts, then, are God giving of himself through people. You say that again. Spiritual gifts are God giving of himself to people through people. Blessed to be a blessing. Gifted 
to give. Ready? Steady. See, there are certain things that you need to be in place if you want to operate in the gifts of the Spirit. First one's pretty obvious, but you do need to be born again. You do need to be a believer. We started at 1 Corinthians 12, verse 1, and Paul says it's a bit of a prerequisite to, uh, to operate in spiritual gifts is that you're part of the family. He starts it with brothers and sisters. Brothers and sisters. Gifts are for members of the family. And conversely, if you're a member of the family, you've got a gift. You're a Christian here today, you are gifted. You have a gift to be used for the building up of the body. You need to be born again. Second thing, you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I mean, they are spiritual gifts, right? <laughs> kind of stands the reason. You need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And the truth is, you need to be being filled with the Holy Spirit. Not just like a one-time thing. Well, I do remember when, way back, you know, be being filled with the Holy Spirit. When was the last time you were filled with the Holy Spirit? Because more spirit equals more impact, more power, more everything. So we need to be born again. We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And third thing is we need to, be, we need to know about the gifts. Paul says he doesn't want us to be ignorant about spiritual gifts, which means that we need to know about them. Now, we're not going to go into the details of all of the gifts, partly because we haven't got time, partly because there's lots of uh, excellent resources out there. You can go and explore yourself. Just very practically, two, two of them. One, he probably mentioned it last week, but there's a, a fantastic Holy Spirit course on the New Ground Church's website uh, recorded by somebody that you know. It's not me. It's the one who talked about it last week. It was brilliant. You go and watch it. You can go and do that. It's all free. Goes into all sorts of details. Secondly, there's this, there's loads of great books, but there's a really short one here. You know when someone stands and suggests a book with 800 pages, you're like, yeah, maybe not. This one's got about 80 or 90. Receiving the Holy Spirit and His Gifts by Terry Virgo and Phil Rogers, who unfortunately for Phil doesn't get as much credit as he should on that book, but there you go. They're really simple. Goes through all the stuff. There's loads of excellent resources out there. But actually, really, why I don't want to just go through all these resources uh, through the gifts is because... Actually, the key for many of us is not more information, but more action. I don't necessarily need more teaching. I just need to start doing it. Moving from passively, yeah, yeah, good sermon, gifts. We all need to do that. That's great. More to, no, 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 let us use them. A few things we need to know as we let us use them. If you're taking notes, I have no idea what point we're on. Big point two, sub point three, point, sub, sub point one, I think. Who knows? few things we need to know. Whilst we can learn how to use them, spiritual gifts are not received through study and training. They're gifts, not rewards. Just be clear on that. They're gifts, not rewards. Study diligently enough and I'll be able to do this. No, they're gifts, not rewards. They're also, this is important, they are not a sign of maturity. They're not a sign of maturity, although they do need to be handled with maturity. But it's not like get to this point, oh, graduate up, you now get a big, no. They're not a sign of maturity. This, I think, is really very important for us. So many of us struggle with this. Gifts and operating them, moving them, they do not define you. They don't define you. Hold them loosely. Your security and your identity should never be in your gifts, but in the giver of the gifts. They're used for the building up of the body. It doesn't define you. Don't hold your identity there. We've said this a lot, fourthly, I think the gifts that God gives you are a blessing to others. It's not just to hold on. He's given you it to bless others, so use it, or else you're not blessing others, are you? Fifth thing is, when it comes to working out what your gifts are, you'll probably have some kind of understanding yourself. 
because you'll feel fulfilled. Like you'll step out and do it. It brings like a sense of contentment. Oh, yeah, I'm operating in the, I'm using the gifts God's given me. Great. But it's really important to let other people recognize your gift and confirm it. Principle of kind of starting small, things being tested and then confirmed, and you're entrusted with small things that, that grow into bigger things. Next one, I think, and this is really important to say again, lots of people struggle with this, is that all gifts are equally spiritual. All gifts are equally spiritual. Some people think, well, some sound more spiritual than others. Speaking in tongues sounds more spiritual than helping. It's not. It's not at all. They're all equally important, all equally spiritual. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 12 that one part of the body should not feel inferior or superior to any other parts. Now, it's true, Paul says, eagerly desire prophecy, but that doesn't make prophecy more important. All equally important and equally needed. All equally needed. Next thing to say is that each person has a gift, but that gift will vary in capacity and context. That's important to state. Everybody is gifted, but that gift will vary in capacity and context. Even within certain spiritual gifts, there will be variety. So for, take, for example, the gift of using at the moment, teaching. Some teachers will flourish in this kind of context and others in a small group context. I'll be honest with you, I am rubbish at teaching in a small group context. For the obvious reason, I like to talk too much. <laughs> Not very good at it. Gifts flourish in different contexts and in different capacities. If you're taking notes, we're now on to big point four, I think. <laughs> We've got to understand that the motivation for using gifts is love. Sandwiched between 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 14, all about gifts, is 1 Corinthians 13, which is a chapter all about love. Paul explains that being mighty in the gifts, it's moving powerfully in the gifts, it's nothing if you don't have love. It means nothing if you don't have love. In fact, he says it's like a clashing gong or a noisy symbol. It's, it means nothing if you don't have love. He says, pursue love and earnestly desire spiritual gifts. Straight after his little bit in Romans 12, he talks on about love again. Now, this is important for two reasons. Firstly, is we don't use our gifts for any other motivation. It does not honor God if we use it for anything else. And it does not build anyone else up if we use it for anything else. Use it to fulfill some need in you and some identity and some little, oh, this makes me look good. No, it doesn't do anything. We use it, our motivation for love. And the second thing of this, and this I think is really important, if you find yourself too shy to use your gift, lots of us do, we're nervous about it, we feel a bit shy about it, a bit whatever, be drawn into doing it because you love people who are going to be blessed as a result of you doing it. Oh, but I'm a bit like, do you love people? If you're a believer, the answer to that is yes. <laughs> That's another sermon, whether you like them or not is irrelevant. There's another sermon. Do you love people? Yes. Therefore, God has gifted you and you to use your gifts to love people and build up the church. So allow love to be the motivating factor. And actually, I do think this is massive in this next season. Because I'm believing many of us will begin to step out in new ways. Hopefully an awful lot out there, but also even in here, in these kind of contexts on Sundays. So just using, again, be clear, not all gifts are about Sunday meetings, but just using this as an example for a moment. That moment when somebody new comes up to bring a contribution, how do you feel about them? Like if somebody new gets the mic and they're a little bit nervous and they're standing there, what are you thinking? Because if you're a believer, I'm really hoping it's not, I hope they're rubbish. 
I hope they fail. This will be funny, won't it, if they get it all right? No one's thinking that, right? You're standing there and you're sitting there or standing there and you're thinking, go on, go on, go on. And even if it is a little bit, we're like, I'll receive even just a little bit. And I'll be encouraging and I'll clap and I'll support and I'll, and I'll go, yeah, to me, even if it's not because no one else put their hand up. So I'll go for it just to encourage them. That's how we're feeling, right? Or it should be. So if you're feeling that about them, how are they feeling about you? The motivation is love. We are family. I don't mock my kids when they try something for the first time and they're a bit naff at it. Well done. Well done. You're feeling about that about others? That's what everyone's feeling about you too. Ready, steady, go. Because you need to actually start using them. You know that, right? Can't be ready, steady. Go on, somebody else. No, ready, steady, go. Active, not passive. You need to act in faith and use your gifts. If you don't use muscles, they don't get strengthened, do they? You kind of sit there and don't do anything. It's, that's a biblical law, and you know that, right? To, those who ha- to everyone who has, more will be given. The more you use it, the more will be given. Similarly, the less you do, the it's not, isn't it? Gifts dry up when we don't use them, and they grow when we do. Paul tells us, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. We've got to desire them, and then we've got to use them. He writes to Timothy, and he says, I want to remind you, fan into flame the gift of God which is in you. I want to remind you, Paul says, fan into flame. You need to do it. If you want to prophesy, you've got to open your mouth. You've got to do it. can't be passive. No, you've got to do it. If you want to exercise the gift of giving, you've got to open your wallet. It doesn't magically do it any other way. If you want to exercise the gift of faith, well, you've got to step out of your comfort zone and go and exercise some faith. If you want to bring a word of knowledge, you've got to, I don't know, something radical like speak. It's our responsibility to activate the gifts and use them. They're gifts. Use them. I give my children a gift and they don't use it. That would just never happen. You give them a gift and they are, poof, off we go. And then they want another one. And another one and a bigger one and a better one. But they use them. So must we. I'll just finish with this because I think this starts, the go thing starts actually with a diagnosis of our own hearts. Some of us kind of have a bit of cynicism about it all. A bit of cynicism is healthy, right? No, it's not. Cynicism is a thief and a liar and a robber and it destroys. There's no place for cynicism within the heart of a believer. Cynicism does nothing but tear down. It does nothing to help build up. It does nothing to encourage. It does nothing I love. Cynicism is ugly and we don't want to do it. Some of us past experiences, we tried something and it all just went a bit, so probably best to hand. Listen, don't let your past experiences determine your current reality. Don't do it. Some of us have a lack of expectation. Now this... This is really easy to challenge. It's uncomfortable, but it's really easy to challenge. Well, just a lack of expectation that God's going to use me. Do you know what another word for lack of expectation is? Lack of faith. Do you know what the Bible says? Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Ouch. Some of us have fear of failure, of rejection, fear of getting it wrong, fear of looking foolish. I get that. 
but quite seriously, what's the worst that could happen? What's the worst that could happen? And if you start small in a small group in your community or something, and you're stepping out for the first time and you're doing something, what's the worst that can happen? It's not like someone's going to die, is it? Unless you're practicing raising the dead, in which case they're already dead. <laughs> what's the worst that can happen? I think, really, fear comes down to a lack of understanding about identity. Know this, you are loved. Not because of you, but because of him. Not because of what you do or don't do or could do or couldn't do or should do or shouldn't do, but what he has done perfectly. That's your identity. You are secure. And if you're secure in your identity and who he is, who cares what anyone else thinks? See, this is the place. We have full access to everything. He wants us to use. We're family. We need one another. And so we need faith. Courage to step outside our comfort zone. Courage to be more courageous. We need to check our motivation. It's not about us. It's about his glory, a good of his church. And so therefore, brothers and sisters, let us use them. The early church was a community of the presence of God, wasn't it? I mean, they were full-on charismatics, right? <laughs> Just read through the book of Acts, and you see from Pentecost onwards, it's a story of spirit baptism and speaking in tongues and prophesying and healing and casting out demons and angelic encounters and visions and dreams and miraculous prison breaks and evangelistic preaching and building shaking and the dead being made alive and unspeakable joy even in the midst of great persecution and serious gospel advance. Lives transformed, communities changed, nations reached. Don't you long for that? Don't you long for that? The goal is not just better meetings, right? The goal is nations reached, lives transformed, communities changed for the glory of God. We are blessed to be a blessing. We're gifted to give for the good of the building up of the church, for the sake of seeing the ingathering of the elect from every tribe and every tongue. Ready? Steady. Go. Let's pray. Just before him, right now, where you are, there's a ready, steady, go moment in our hearts. So you've re-dig this well. Some of us, it's not listening to lies, but listening to the truth. Each one is gifted. What's the Holy Spirit gifted you with? And if you don't know, your go moment it's going to pour over scripture yourself, get in community, and start stepping out a bit. Those that do know, or beginning to explore, maybe it's this, maybe it's that, it's, well, let's start doing it. Where do we start? Probably in community. Depends what it is, isn't it? Your gift. Where do you start? How can you start using it? Holy Spirit, we thank you for your presence with us. Just that gentleness in worship. You've called each of us, God, by name, out of the grave, into life. We have been blessed with the fullness of life. We've been recipients of the Spirit. We've been gifted. And now it's time to give and to go and build up. So Jesus, would you help us? Would you help us? Holy Spirit, for every slightly nervous and apprehensive soul, Lord, 
just bring your gentleness. For every slightly, oh, I'm not sure, would you just come and help? Even this week, bring opportunities to step out for the first time. Jesus, come build your church. Thank you, that's never been about one or two, but every single person. Right now in the quiet, the ready, the steady, and a commitment now. Make a commitment now before the Lord. I will begin to step out for the first time or re-step out. And just, just to sense Melinda's beautiful song earlier. We are weary, some of us, and we're a bit tired, and we've got an awful lot of stuff going on in our lives, and it's just an effort just to be here, and now this guy is telling me I've got to step out and do some stuff. You're joking, and you I can barely cling on. It's never been about how well we're doing or whether we've got a nice, sorted-out life. Even in our weariness, even in our mess, even in our trial, we can operate in the gifts that the Lord has given us because we are all needy and we're all needed and we each have a part to play. The Holy Spirit is not asking you to come and perform on the stage next Sunday because you have struggled through this week. No. As we begin to step out and operate in the things that God has called us to, even when we carry all sorts of other stuff, we just find that life begins to begin to work again because we're operating as we should, recognizing that even in our brokenness and mess, we have plenty to give out. Jesus, would you come? Redig this well for your glory and our good. In Jesus' name, amen.